<laughs> Welcome to the Get Up Podcast. Bam, bam. I'm your host, Mark Hayford, coming at you like fresh jelly in a stale roll, baby. Welcome to the greatest podcast in the history of podcasts. When you're talking mindset, attitude, positivity, possibilities. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen, banging, slanging, thugging, and bugging into February of 22. And I told you, I told you we are doing big things, Get Up Army. I am so excited to be here with you and see you, literally see you as this is the first ever video that we are releasing here as we are on season two, episode two, part one, because we have something else amazing. No matter if you're listening on any of the 10 platforms and 40 countries and regions, which we are in, Get Up Army. We have our first ever guest, and I am so excited to introduce this man. Before we rip into this, hey, check out markhayford.com. There's three books, Get Up, 365, Light Up the Darkness. And if you can't read, I got you, bro. Go out to audible.com where you can get Get Up and Light Up the Darkness. Now, without all that further jive turkey talk, let's get to our guest. And I told you, I told you guys, just like when we had the Get Up Power Hour, just as we ripped into the new format of this podcast, gatekeeper anyone that comes onto this podcast they have to pass the test they have to be an achiever they have to be somebody that's going to cast vision encouragement have had mad success so let me read the bullet points as i introduce this next guest for you ladies and gentlemen we have someone who has wrestled on three national championship teams is a former ncaa national champion started a second discipline in martial arts of, and I'm sure I'll be corrected by this, but it's Shuai Jiao. And, and a year later went to Beijing, China and won a gold medal. The first American, I'm going to say that again, the first American from like George Washington to Kurt Angle, the first American to win a gold medal in Kung Fu competitions in China, beating the Chinese at their own game and their own backyard. And out of all those accomplishments, also author, but now president of the Psycho-Cybernetics Foundation, and also, obviously, narrator of Psycho-Cybernetics, the 30 million sold copy book from Dr. Maxwell Maltz. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together from the champion, author, narrator, and president. Ladies and gentlemen, give a big get-up welcome to Mr. Matt Fury! Uh, that was nice. I'm sweating, Matt. I'm sweating. Welcome to the Get Up Podcast. How are you? Doing great. Thank you. I've been so excited to get you on this podcast. I mean, we were talking before we went live here. Every single one of these bullet points I just read off could be a podcast in itself. And here, you know, your life is just success after success after success. And this is why I wanted to get you on here to talk about so many of these accomplishments, the mindset that it took to achieve them, and all the things that just the Get Up Army just loves to feed on. So, hey, welcome to the program, and thank you for taking the time. First of my all, pleasure, Mark. my pleasure. Well, listen, listen. First of all, you're in Florida, is where you're coming to us from right now. So I noticed you're in a t-shirt. We're talking about the weather and. Uh, you had a cold front, but it, it seems like you guys are okay there. So we're doing great. It was down to 28 the other morning, but we, we managed to survive. That's got to be horrifying, though, in Florida to be 28. I mean, because that's, 
that that wasn't when when uh, I'm sure you signed the contract. That was in the cards there, but uh, it's all good. Well, that's that's my limit for one reason, one reason only. Even though I grew up in Iowa and lived in your state for a while, in Pennsylvania, um, I have some species of bamboo that are only durable to 28 degrees. So when it's getting around 28, I get a little nervous and, it, and hope it never goes below that. And uh, <clears throat> which is a story in and of itself very quickly is one year it was 28 for several hours, two days in a row. And these two species died on me or so it seems. Yet they only died above ground and within two weeks, I had leaves shooting out of the ground. Now, these weren't bamboo shoots. These were just leaves shooting out. That's what we call the survival mechanism. See, it wants to live. It wants more life. And, and I'm thinking, because it was a brand, it was new for me with this particular species. I have other ones as well that are good even below 28. But... They shot out of the ground and I'm thinking that these are new shoots, but shoots in bamboo in Florida don't start appearing till May or June. This was still February when they were shooting out of the ground. And I'm thinking, oh, they, they, these are shoots, these are shoots. But then in May and June, when the new ones really came out, I, I realized, no, these were just branches coming out of the roots to keep it alive, to let me know don't chop me down. Don't throw me out. I'm still here. Give me a little time. And I, I use that as a metaphor uh, in, in many ways when I, when I talk to people is that on the surface, it can look as though you're failing. It can look as though you're, you're going downhill, that uh, you're not going to make it. But beneath the surface, there can be major growth, getting ready to push through the, push through the soil at any moment. You, you just don't know when that moment is. Um, so that's, that's the key. I love working with plants. I love working with uh, nature because it, it's a reflection of, of humanity as well. This is what I'm talking about, Get Up Army. We didn't even get into this man's accomplishments yet, and we're already getting lessons, and it's coming from plants. I love it. I love it. We, I thought we were going to have a five-minute conversation when we first connected, Matt. We wound up staying on the phone for about an hour or so, just to, and it was all this. I love it. Fantastic stuff. Hey, I want to bounce. I want to go back. I want to go way back in time. I want to go to your, your amateur wrestling career. When, uh, you know, and, and I don't want to spend too much time here because the psycho cybernetics conversation needs to happen for so many because it's life changing. But I have two sons. They've wrestled. Um, you know, we're in a big wrestling community, big wrestling state here in Pennsylvania, as you know. Um, oh, my goodness. I mean, what what was that like? First of all, your coaches, Dan Gable, Bruce Bumgartner. I mean, th these are Olympians and th these are the people that are coaching you and three national championship teams and to emerge is a, is an NCAA national champ yourself. What level of training and mindset does that look like? It's such a young age because again, these are the, the years, the formative years still, right? We don't have our, our frontal lobes. Men <laughs> are not fully formulated. We're still capable of making dumb decisions, but here you are on the mat, taking it to the next level, to the apex of that level. What does it take us there? What's that like? 
I can narrow it down in the physical realm to six words that I read in one of my mentor's books, Dan Gable, the legend. And those six words I read my senior year in high school and they were pivotal. They, they took me from being above average to extraordinary pretty quickly. And they were three workouts per day, year round. Three workouts? Three per workouts day. per day, year round. So that gives you an indication of the physicality is I was working and training on my conditioning and my wrestling, but I wasn't working on the specifics of the techniques. I hadn't refined my technique uh, to the level I needed. When I read those words, I interpreted them as three workouts on the mat per day, year round. So I had my team wrestling practice, and of course that's mandatory, but I had a running workout and a rope skipping workout and weight training or calisthenics workout that I did the other two times each day. But I switched it when we had six weeks left in the regular season, my senior year, I switched it to three workouts on the mat. So I was up at 5.30 in the morning, I'd go with my little brother down to this recreation center and I would work on my moves over and over and over for about 30 minutes or so. Then we went home and had to get to school. Then we had wrestling practice. I'd come home and do a little homework, eat a couple of steaks, and then I'd go back down there again and work for another 30 minutes or so with my brother. And after about three weeks, the moves were second nature, they were refined. I knew them as though I was looking at the back of my hand without looking at it. I just knew everything. And, and I won 15 straight matches, ended up in the state finals. In the state finals, after, after beating the defending champion in the quarterfinals and getting the coach's attention at University of Iowa, who was Dan Gable, uh, I then won in the semis, and then I got in the finals, and that's when I had a mental letdown. And I started thinking about, well, you know, second place isn't too bad, and everybody still loves me, win or lose, and so on. And, and, I, and I went out, and I lost to a man who was a junior. I was a senior at the time, seven to five. And I'll tell you, that loss haunted me for years, it, even as I wrote in my book, The Unbeatable Man, even, even a couple of decades later, I would have nightmares about that match. How did I lose? And man, if I'd only done this, and if I'd done that, it would have been different. But the good thing about it is, it taught me that the breakdown wasn't physical. I didn't lose because I didn't have the physical ability. I lost because the guy inside my head was no longer being a man of iron and steel, he weakened. And that led to the defeat. So this led basically, when I was at University of Iowa and at Edinburgh University, I spent as much time studying the mind as I did all the other subjects, as well as wrestling. So I often say that I got my degree in speech communications, but I, Really, and I, and I got my master's degree or PhD in wrestling, but 
but I also got a master's degree in how the mind works along the way. But they didn't give me a degree for that. It, it was on my own. But this is what this is what intrigued me and still does to this day. That's and it answers your question, how did I make this pivot into the martial arts? Yeah, and Ken, before before you do that, I'm, I'm sure I destroyed it. How do you say the name of this discipline? You said it correctly, believe it or not. Okay. Yes, you said it uh, better than many Kung Fu and Tai Chi instructors in the United States who are Americans do not pronounce it correctly. They say Shui Jiao or they Shui Jiao or they bastardize it. So you did it correctly. Well, I could tell you Matt was an accident, but I appreciate that. Accidents are good. I'll take them. I'll take a happy accident. So, so yeah, how, 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 what, what was the, what was the pivot? I mean, you know, you get to the top of the mountain here as an NCAA champ. What, what is, what is the motivation to take on to, to be brave enough to suck at something new and to, into right. Cause I'm, I'm sure that's a whole nother transition and mindset to do that. The athletes there, the warriors there, the mindsets there, but you realize you're stepping into a whole nother arena of, of competition here. So what, what was the beginning of that? How did that happen? Well, I would say that I was intrigued by the internal aspect of what I was supposed to get from martial arts. Is that, and it wasn't just by internal. We don't. I don't mean the subconscious mind or or the thinking mind. Also, the energetics of the body, how they go together with the mind. That was something that was glossed over in sports. You'd hear things such as, you know, it's 90% mental. So nobody ever explains what that means. And in martial arts, I gravitated toward that because it was going to give me an answer to what is this 90% and how do you get there? How, how, do, you, how do you make the mind 90% of what you're doing? The answer is more than two or three fold, but the quick answer is you still have to practice physically. You still got to do all the exercises and all the training and so on, but now you slow it down. And when you slow it down, you start to incorporate your breathing. You start to incorporate your imagination and so on. So if I want to move my arm physically i just i do this you can see i'm doing it physically but if i'm using my mind i i now activate my imagination and i think of my arm moving and then now i do it with my breathing and then i bring it back so it's not this and then you get so that you can do this physically even faster and making changes on the go that are almost impossible to see. So, you know, you see, I, I flick with a fist, but then my hand immediately goes back to relaxation. So that was another component is this ability to relax. There's a lot of athletes struggle with this. And in the martial arts, the way I'm taught, 
I've had many good instructors uh, and, and still, still learn from top-notch people. But one of the best is Kondeka William Sanders. And he really, really expresses the need that you are physically relaxed, you bang them, and then as soon as you hit, it's your, your hand is relaxed. So how do I do that? And, and I've studied a lot of different arts, not just Shui Jia, a lot of different ones. But he's been the ultimate best at explaining how to do this. And so I, the search continued, not the search so much, the journey continues. Is, uh, and one of the things I teach people in my coaching with psychocybernetics is the basics are everything. And we're running around the track. You see, if I'm running the mile, I go four times around the same track in the same direction. We don't say, all right, I've run around the track once. Now let's change gears and go the other way. And then now let's go the other way. And now, now let's run across the field. Now, you continue to repeat the same thing that works, that is basic and fundamental. You just refine it and make it better and better. Well, uh, look, first of all, a couple things. I'm laughing to myself because every time you did any of the martial arts, you move so quickly, the screen blurred and froze every single time. So that's that's like Bruce Lee quick. I don't even know what happened there. That was great. But uh, this, this, there's so many layers to what you're saying here. I'm loving all this. I know the Get Up Army is, and I'm just going to pause for a second here. If you are listening via podcast on the 10 platforms which we have, it is time for us to take a break for our amazing sponsor, Anchor. But if you're watching this live here on video, we keep it rolling, baby. That's what we do. I am here with the Matt Fury, world champion in martial arts, NCAA national champion, president of Psycho Cybernetics Foundation. And we're getting into the mind of an overachiever, a champion. Matt, again, I just love that you're taking the time to be here and having this conversation, just educating so many of us. Um, we're talking about wrestling. We're talking about the martial arts and why you got into it and how you got into it and what you were learning from it. My next question is this, and it's about the whole, you know, discipline of going into the Kung Fu. You, you went in 1997, you go to Beijing, China, and you come out on top. You were the first human being from American soil who went into China to win a gold medal, the first one. First of all, what is that like? Was there any pressure knowing that you could be that first one? I mean, take us there to that headspace. I never thought about, I never thought about that in advance. I only thought about winning when I trained leading up to that. I pictured myself with the gold medal around my neck. I saw myself on the top, top rung of the victory stand, receiving the gold medal. I would say this to myself, I'm going to win the gold medal in Beijing, China this year at 198 pounds. And I would say that with energy and enthusiasm as, as I would run up this really steep hill. And then I get to the top and I would look upward and put my hands in the, in the air, a la Rocky in the, in the first movie. Um, and that was the main focus. Then 
when I got there, it was really about, this is what I call from psycho-cybernetics, remembering and reviewing what works. You see, you make mistakes, you correct course, but you also remember and review what works. And so many people, they don't remember what they do when they're at their best because they never ask themselves that question. What am I doing when I'm at my best? And that was going through my mind for the whole time I was training. And I made sure I incorporated everything from wrestling and everything that I did when I was locked in, I was grounded, I was unstoppable, unmovable, and so on. And that was the mindset that, that I had. But in addition to that, when I was in China and I was preparing for matches, I didn't have any fear of losing until I got into the final. So then that day, and this happens to all athletes and all martial arts, anyone who says, I have no fear, you do. All right, at some point, you just learn how to neutralize it. And when throughout from being the guy who put me out, now I'm ready to kick butt to, oh no, man, what if I lose? Did that, now did this harken back, Matt, to, to what you were describing earlier with your wrestling? It did. It went back to my, my high school. It's a great question and good catch. It, it harkened back to that, but it also harkened back to just before the national championships, before I was about an hour before I was to take the mat, the same thing started happening to me that happened in high school. I started to think that, man, second place isn't too bad. Second in the nation ain't bad. And the good thing is I got out of the stance. See, when I, when I had this negative thinking going on uh, my senior year in high school, I stayed in the stance. I stayed where I was and just sat there and wallowed in the cesspool of negativity and self-doubt. In my, my year that I won the nationals in college, I got out of the stands. I went down a level to a private room where nobody was there. And I sat in a chair and I went back into the theater of my mind and I relived my winning moments. And I pictured myself in the match going through all the moves that I, that I wanted to see materialize. I pictured all of that. And then oddly enough, I fell asleep. I hadn't slept at all the night before the match, not, not one second. And here we are in the evening. So I've gone basically 48 hours without sleep. Uh, and now I fall asleep before the match, but Guardian Angel wakes me up about 15 minutes before and, oh my God, am I, am I losing, did, did my match already take place and I wasn't there? And, and I ran up the stairs and I saw that, thank goodness, the, the guy before me was out there competing. I got warmed up very quickly and, and I went out and won. So that was the memory. What did I do then? So I kept that in mind when I was in Beijing, as well as a number of other physical things I would do throughout the day. Uh, I would get up early in the morning and I'd run a mile really hard outside in the cold weather 
to get cold air in my lungs. You, you can probably appreciate this being in Pennsylvania, but if you're a competitive athlete and you get into competition and the cold air hits your lungs inside of a building with thousands of fans there, you feel at some point that you can't breathe. Your, your lungs are collapsing on you. They're cold <laughs> and you fatigue very quickly. But what I found out in high school and college was that after you have that first round match, let's say it's at noon, and you get that feeling and somehow you survive that match, then you compete again at three o'clock or seven o'clock, it never materializes a second time. And you, you have unlimited endurance. Your lungs don't have that reaction. So what I would do every day of the tournament is I would get up and I'd run a mile really hard to get my, and I, and I breathe through my mouth, even though not supposed to, inhale through the nose, exhale through the mouth. But I get running hard enough that I had to mouth breathe in and out just to get my lungs on fire. And then when I went to compete, I was fine. I had no fatigue. So that was one, that was one factor. But then this nervousness came prior to the match. Out of the stands. So that wasn't a factor. But there was nowhere for me to go. There was no lower level for me to go to to get this quiet time and to visualize and so on. So I stood in place and I closed my eyes and I did a couple of different breathing techniques. One was to cleanse the lungs of grief, sadness, depression, and, and bring in uh, courage and confidence. So I pictured myself as a Siberian tiger. I'd inhale, I'd picture that my whole body was a Siberian tiger, then I'd exhale the grief, sadness, depression, even though I didn't think I was depressed really. You just get the idea, get, get rid of the negative. Then I went down to the kidneys. The kidneys house the negative emotion of fear. So that's the big one. So then I, I imagine that I'm this dolphin diving, you know, out of the water, jumping out of the water 10, 15, 20 feet, as well as the knowledge that a dolphin can kill a shark. Nobody, not many people know that, but a dolphin rams a shark in the gills and punctures it lung, its lungs and kills it that way. So I inhale and I imagine this picture of the, of the dolphin, I bring in the energy and then I exhale the fear. So I bring in calmness and collectedness and exhale the fear. I did those exercises while standing there, but I did it in a way that nobody knew what I was doing. I didn't move my arms in any way. I didn't gesture in any way. I'm just standing still not to call attention to myself. And a remarkable thing happened. When I finished, I was, I was in another world. I walked up to my competitor, whom I'm about to take the match with, and I put up my hand and I said, good luck to him. Now, that's something I never did in my entire career. I, I didn't talk to the enemy. You see, I didn't, the way you see in baseball and football nowadays, where they're all out on the field talking yeah. to each other, I never did it. No way, not a chance. But this time I did. We went out there and we had a hell of a match. It ended two to two. And by the rules, I was to be awarded the gold medal because I scored first. But they wanted to give it to him. So they raised his hand. That was the first thing that happened. 
And my wife is, who is Chinese and from there, she's upset. And I walk over to, I walk over to the stands and normally I would be crushed. I would be upset as well. And I just said, look, you know, when in China, you do as the Chinese do, just to play off that when in Rome, do as the Romans do, just making a joke of it. And then to my surprise, about a minute later, after I put on my sweats, the, the umpire, the referee, the judges, and so on, they came and got me and brought me back out on the mat and they raised my hand as the gold medalist. That they, they admitted they made a mistake. Uh, so that was, that was awesome. And here's what's really funny, Mark, is as soon as they did that, they raised my hand. Now, you got to know psychologically. Even if you saw the video of me winning the national championship in college, when my hand was raised in victory, this was my expression. And I just walked off the mat. I've been here before. I've done this before. That sort of attitude. No jumping around, no celebrating, not even smiling. But because I, when I practiced running up that steep hill, and I'd get to the top, and I would do the Rocky Balboa and look up and so on. As soon as my hand was raised, the other one was up, and I'm looking up, and I'm smiling, and there are people in the crowd that are booing, and I looked straight at him, gave him the thumbs up. <laughs> you know? And then, then when I was on the victory stand, again, if you saw the picture of me from the Nationals getting the award and so on, I'm just looking straight ahead in this thousand-mile stare, stoic as can be, but this time I get the medal, they announce my name, both hands up. And that was really the extent of my celebration, which was big for me. Uh, but uh, you know, other people, they run around the mat, they fall on their knees, they kiss the mat, they do all, they hug the coat. I never did any of that, ever. Uh, <laughs> so, but in that finals match, I, I did show some emotion. In, in a way that I normally didn't, did, uh, didn't, but inside, I was full of emotion. I just didn't show it externally. Incredible, incredible story. If, if, listen, if you are listening from the Get Up podcast platform, I could talk to this man all day. We got NCAA national champion. We have Kung Fu world champion, and we have president of Psycho Cybernetics Foundation, Matt Fury. We're going to wrap part one on the podcast platform. If you're watching this video, we keep it rolling. Hey, next week from the podcast platform, Get Up Podcast, we have part two. So if you are listening to part one, we're signing off for Matt Fury, Mark Hayford. I am always in your corner. It's Mark Hayford. If you're listening here, this is part two. Let's rip into it. We're with Matt Fury. We just went through a whole cornucopia of mindset of what it takes to be a champion from different levels of breathing vision mindset meditating manifesting i mean there, there's so much here that's so good i mean this could be a day seminar and we're cramming it into a you know a video that we're trying to get in under an hour but matt incredible story you know what's what's really i've, I've been finding intriguing about all this is how even someone that has had success, we all go back to those human components. And a lot of those human components, you've, you've mentioned, you've talked about it. You've talked about fear. You've talked about um, just just the, the, I don't know if it's lack of self-confidence, but it's, it's definitely 
that that creeping into the mindset of self-doubt um you know in, in the in the worst moments right right when we're just about to achieve and it's it's the acronym for fear the false evidence appearing real and so many people what they want is just on the other side of that fear you've broken through those barriers and now you teach and train how to do it you've been doing it for for decades so i i, I want to go here i i, I want to we went through all of your physical accomplishments and talked about the layers of how you achieve them through mindset. And now you teach other people to do this as being the, the president of the Psycho Cybernetics Foundation. I want to switch the gears and go right into here to dive into this. And I'm going to tell you, Matt, when I first, first of all, the book itself, written 1960 by Dr. Maxwell Maltz, 30 million copies, one of the biggest selling um, personal growth books of all time. Some people say think and grow rich. Some people say the art of war. Many people, over 30 million strong, say psycho cybernetics. And what's crazy to me, first of all, the title in itself is so intimidating. I mean, there's so many words there. There's lots of syllables, Matt, right? Psycho freaking cybernetics. What is, for starters, can you explain to the Get Up Army what is psycho cybernetics? Well, psychocybernetics is a, uh, a term that Dr. Maxwell Maltz, who was a plastic surgeon who operated on people who had been disfigured in, in the world wars, as well as people born with cleft lip or were in automobile accidents. That, that's the kind of uh, plastic surgery he was doing at the time. It was a new field, believe it or not. It wasn't what we think of today as plastic surgery, meaning, uh, you know, big, yeah, big large mints, yeah. Or, or something else. And uh, <laughs> so, so he found out and discovered that when he changed people's faces, he changed their lives. That he altered, he was able to alter their psychology in a positive way by fixing disfigurements. But not every time. There were some people that he operated on, the surgery was successful. The person went from being unattractive to being attractive, but yet saw herself or himself as not. And this just blew him away. It, it, uh, it stunned him. And that put him on a path where he wanted to find out what's the difference, why? And it came down to one young lady named Helen, who said to him, I see the difference when he showed the before and the after. I see the difference, but I don't feel any different. Well, how is it you don't feel any different? And what he was able to ascertain was that people have internal scars. He can eradicate the external scar easily. And but there's only about 0.5% of the population who have an external scar that you remove this and they're going to really look good. But what about the 99.5% who have internal scars? They don't have anything on the outside really that needs fixed, but internally, there's a whole ball of scars, they're, they're all over the place. And this is what he started to make his secondary mission, which then ended up becoming a whole life and career in and of itself. But psycho-cybernetics, the, the term cybernetics comes from the Greek, which means helmsman, or somebody who is steering the ship to port. 
And so psychocybernetics is really the psychology of using your mind to steer yourself to a productive, useful goal that ultimately, most importantly, leads to peace of mind. This, in fact, is what Malt says is the primary objective. The primary objective of psychocybernetics is not to get rich, not to win championships and have all the trinkets and toys that create the illusion of success, but to actually have peace of mind. And one of the things that he said is, with it, you have everything. Without it, you have nothing. So you can be a billionaire, but you don't have peace of mind. What do you really have? And this is what drew me in because in my, as I wrote in the, in the uh, introduction to psychocybernetics was I won the national championship as a junior in college. My senior year, I had, I had some uh, difficulties to say the least. Every time I took the mat, I had this incredible pressure of, I gotta win, I'm a national champion. I gotta defend my title. And I was successful in doing that for the first 14 mat matches of the year. I blew everybody away, but as the season progressed, the pressure got deeper and stronger. Everybody wants to beat you because you're the defending champion and so on. And I ended up taking fifth my senior year in the nationals. And as a consequence of that, despite the fact that I had won a national title, I never thought about that. I blanked that out of my mind. And all I could think about was the fact that I had this disappointing finish as a senior. And I began to think of myself as a failure. When I moved to California and went into business as a personal fitness trainer, one of my first clients was a 57-year-old agent uh, and broker named Jack Gowan. And he and I used to talk about books all the time. We'd be talking about your books if, if it was, you know, if we could organize time somewhere. And, and I, I'd be reading all sorts of books and as I did all throughout college and so on. We'd talk about them because he would see the books on my desk. One day he asked me, have you ever read Psycho-Cybernetics? And this is in May of 1987. I said, no, what's that? How the hell could I have missed that? In all the years going to the bookstores, reading everything, I said, no, what's that? And his answer was, well, that's the Bible of self-development. Really? And then he started talking about self-image and people in sales and how they they're not performing well and they read this book and they do the exercises, they don't just read the book. And then their sales skyrocket and so on. So I went down to the bookstore as soon as that session ended and I read that book and I devoured it. And it spoke to me on so many levels because I had forgotten when I was at my best. I blanked that out. I, I didn't think about it. You say, oh, that doesn't matter. And you, and you start focusing on your mistakes, your setbacks, your failures, your heartaches, and so on. So I started doing theater of the mind practices that he outlined in the book, including going back into the past and reliving, not just remembering, reliving my best matches and playing them out. Not just focusing on a goal in the future, but first putting fuel in my tank 
Got to have fuel in your tank. And where's the fuel come from? It comes from positive memories from the past. So I'd go back and I'd relive them. And then I would take that energy from the past and insert it into the goal I have for the future. And all of a sudden, when I would go somewhere, I'd light up the room without saying a word. You see, somebody, uh, I used to go to this water store to fill up five gallon jugs before they delivered it to you. And I go and this lady had said about me, every time this guy walks here, the whole place just lights up. I'm thinking, really? Huh? Or why? Didn't have a clue as to why. I was just doing the exercise. But that's what you talk about, you know, bringing light to the darkness. That's what happens when you, when you light up your brain by reviewing and reliving your positive memories. It lights up your brain and it starts to send out a positive aura everywhere you go. And you then start succeeding again. Because it's not that you'll never make a mistake or you'll never fail or anything. It doesn't mean that. But you're taking into the future your past experiences that are positive. And they're basically a parade of soldiers that goes out in front of you. And then it makes it way easier to succeed in the present because you've got the right vibe. I love, I love that we're talking about positivity because positivity gets a bad name. I said this all the time. So many people take positivity, think it's cupcakes, high fives, rainbows, and sprinkles. No, 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 no. Like positivity, it's an energy. It's powerful. It, it, success creates success. I believe that. And what I'm hearing you say, and from reading the book, is you're taking these, if I could break this down, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're taking whether it's tying your shoe and when you're a little kid and remembering what that feel of success was like, Harnessing that, reliving that, refeeling that, that energy, that moment, and then kind of carrying that with you. And that can create even more success. Is that in a sense? That's, that's correct. And one distinction I want to make that Dr. Maltz makes clear in the book, it's not positive thinking. Positive thinking is saying, I am a millionaire. I am rich. I, I'm already this. I'm already that. No, this is positive remembering and positive reliving, it's mental imagery. So if you have positive words and statements that you're reciting to yourself or writing to yourself, that's more along the lines of positive thinking. And it can work, but only, this is the key, only if the images in your mind are congruent with the words, you see? So your images have to be of you winning, see, of you feeling your best, of you uh, feeling positive and so on. When you have that playing and then you add the words to it, you've got tremendous power. But if you have imagery in your mind that contradicts what you're thinking, it doesn't work. So well, let me that's the key. Okay, no, that that's great. That's great info, Matt. What? So what? Um, just to kind of popped into my head question. Uh, you know, so many people um, are big on vision boards and and really trying to create. Where do you stand on that? Vision boards are good. They're good because it's a it, it's giving you a mental image. It's giving you a picture. 
not just words. You're going back to more of the prehistoric uh, use of the brain. Uh-oh, here we go. We're in the cave. Maybe we don't have much for language, but I draw a deer and an antelope and a buffalo on the cave and I show it to uh, all the other people in the tribe. They get it. They know what the job is, you see. So vision boards are very good, uh, but the ultimate vision board has got to be the one inside your own mind, inside your, inside your brain. So the vision boards can help trigger that, but it's going to be still going to be best when you take the time to picture. So you're looking at the image on the board, but then you close your eyes and then you picture it. It's not just looking at it. So, so, but many, many people have talked about the vision boards or the wheel of fortune and so on. I'm totally for it. Okay. And, and that's great to hear. I mean, I, I talk about vision a lot. I've written about it. I, I'm, I'm in the camp of you can't be it if you can't see it, right? But what you're saying is there's a whole nother level to it where you need to feel it. You need to yes. not just see it. You got to harness that, that successful, positive energy. Well, if we go back to Genesis, God breathed life into Adam. See? Now, somebody might think that's just a made-up story or an allegory or whatever. First of all, I don't think so. But second of all, most importantly, it's a teachable moment. You see, what if you breathe life into your goals? You're a creator. God's a creator. God made you in his image to be a creator. And so you have a mental image of something you want to create. Well, breathe some life into it. Do the same thing the creator did. You're a creator. Follow the same idea. And that then... This when I when I coach people on this and coach them through it, they're blown away. It it takes the visualization to the quantum level. Oh, I love uh, this is great. This is great. You're going into neuroscience here. I mean, this is a whole nother level of. Well, okay. So so let's let me ask you this about the book itself. All right. The, yeah. the you know how is psycho cybernetics different than all these other books that are out there that have great messages that have positive reinforcement that encourage people. How, what, what makes this one different? What makes it stand out? Well, that is the fundamentally important question. And this is where I have to spend an inordinate amount of time up front with people because they've been taught principles that don't, that are not part of psycho For example, get out of your comfort zone. The whole book, Psycho-Cybernetics, is to teach you to find your comfort zone and then let it organically expand. You see? So when I was starting as a personal trainer, I was not in my comfort zone because I was thinking about all my failures and setbacks and I didn't do that. I was uncomfortable. But then I went back and started reliving my previous successes. Man, now I feel comfortable. And now I'm starting to slide through life instead of bumping up against sandpaper everywhere I go. You see? So this is, uh, this is a, a big one. 
And then there's the whole idea of making people understand that there's two comfort zones because people go, oh, no, no, that's not true. When I, when I do this, when I do that, when I work out, I, I got to get out of my comfort zone. All right, so are you comfortable doing that? Yes. All right, end of story. Nobody does anything unless internally he or she is comfortable doing it, including if it's externally uncomfortable. So if you take the Lou Gehrig ALS five gallon ice, ice bucket challenge, you see, you take it and the people who do it, they're, they're a little nervous about it, but they want to do it. And then they dump this over their head and they're shivering and they're shivering and they're freezing and they're laughing. So internally, they were comfortable with the idea of doing something that would be physically uncomfortable. Ah. The other people I'll say, all right, all these people talk about get out of your comfort zone. Said, have you done the five gallon ice bucket challenge? Oh no, why not? Oh, too cold, too cold. All right, so you're actually not even living what you claim you are. So that's, that's one. Uh, another one is, is this idea of taking massive action. Is uh, how many breaths do you get at a time? One. All right. No matter how fast you can walk or run, how many steps do you get at a time? One. And let's say you get clever and you put both feet together and you jump forward to, to double the, the range. How many jumps do you get at a time? You get one. All right, so the idea of massive action is appealing because we wanna get going. We wanna get results fast. But the reality is you only get one step at a time. You only get one breath at a time. You only get one moment at a time. One day at a time is actually too big, too big a chunk. And if I can get you focused on taking one step I can very easily get you to take the second one and the third one and so on. And I can do it in comfort and do it without creating anxiety or feeling of overwhelm or depression. When you think in terms of, oh, massive action, you actually are taking into your mind this idea of being anxious, being nervous, and, and not being calm. So that's the difference is I want people to have this mindset of the martial artist, the Shaolin monk. He's doing insane things and they're not easy, but he's doing them one step at a time. And he's doing them because inside he's comfortable with the idea of doing something that on the outside, might be painful. So that's the key. If, if you're uncomfortable inside, you're not gonna do something uncomfortable outside. But if you are inside, you'll do it. So that's, that's the difference. And, and there's other things as well. Um, the whole idea of thinking big and having huge goals and so on. It's, one, it's a wonderful idea, but momentum is more important. If you don't have momentum, and you have a gigantic goal that you set last night. You get up in the morning and now you're afraid that you can't achieve. And that's another one. Well, set goals that scare you. What? Wait a minute. Set goals that scare me. Why would I do that? 
so that I don't do anything. So I go into fight, flight, or fright, or you know, you know what I mean. Uh, fight, flight, or freeze. That's what happens when you're afraid. I don't want to set goals that scare me. I want to set goals that I know I can do and I will do because they're not so challenging that I stop myself. So give me 30 days in a row of X. Prove to me that you have an action goal. Not even a result goal, but a daily action goal, such as Maltz gives in the book. 21 days, do the exercises before you cast judgment. He's giving you an action goal. Give me 21 straight days, and I say 30, uh, but show me you can do something every single day for 30 days that you weren't doing before. If you can do that, you've started to take control of your brain and become the captain of the ship. You're telling your brain, I run you. But if you can't do that, if you don't have uh, a consistent plan of action that you're following on a daily basis, your brain is actually running you instead of the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be telling your brain what we're doing and it follows the orders. So those are, those are in a nutshell, four of, the, four of the big things that my job is to turn people around. And believe it, the success that they start getting is off the charts. Yet it seems that this is not the approach, the correct approach, because those other ones seem, seem better, but they're not. And none of them, none of the ones I pointed out are in psychocybernetics. There's nowhere in the book that it tells you to set a gigantic big goal. There's nowhere it tells you to set a goal that scares you. There's nowhere that it tells you to take massive action. And there's nowhere that it tells you to get out of your comfort zone. It's actually the exact opposite. So what happens now is we're healing the mind instead of bludgeoning the mind. We're healing, we're making it stronger. We're getting into a state of momentum where one goal leads to the next and the next and the next, instead of this start, stop. I did it for 10 days and then I fell out. See, this is why I don't go along with New Year's resolutions, see? Instead of, instead of a New Year's resolution, give me one thing that you're gonna do every day for a year and never miss. I started with 30 days. Let's do it 30 days. But then when you've done it, all right, let's see you do it another month. And then you realize, after three months of this, I'm making some progress. Why don't I just extend it for a year? I have a, I have a, a friend who uh, is making over $100,000 a month in sales. And I've been coaching the guy. And first goal was to get him to 50 grand a month. And then once he hit 50 grand, I told him, well, can you make another 50? I think I can do that. See, but if I gave him a hundred grand out of the gate, he actually would go into fight, flight, or freeze. So now he's made 128 to 150,000 a month, five months in a row. And he asked me in a coaching call, he says, should I just eliminate that $50,000 goal and just start with 100 or 150? He said, well, you can, but doesn't that 50 grand hitting that first give you momentum? Yes. 
Well, we don't want to take that away, do we? <laughs> Let's get momentum. And then when you're at 50, all right, upgrade. And then when you're at 100, upgrade. So now you've achieved three goals in the month instead of shooting for one, going into fight, flight, or freeze, and not achieving it, and then thinking to yourself, this process doesn't work. It does. You just have to, you have to put it together correctly. So you're saying these smaller attainable goals with smaller action steps are going to create more momentum, which is ultimately going to create more overall success, right? Because that big mo is hard to stop once it gets rolling. It's hard to stop. And that is exactly what I'm saying. When in getting back to your question on the martial arts, how is it you go into something completely new where you know you're going to fail, you know you're going to make a mistake, you know mistakes, you know you're starting all over again, you're a complete beginner. How do I do it? And my process is unbelievably simple. The first thing I do is I watch. I just sit and watch. And whether it's DVDs or live instruction, I sit and I watch and I do it over and over again. I might watch for a week or two weeks. And the reason is to fire the mirror neurons in the brain, a whole nother subject. But the mirror neurons in the brain are telling me that I'm, that I'm actually doing what I'm watching, even though I'm not physically doing it. So I watch it. And then after watching it several times or several days in a row, there's something stirs inside me and says, now start practicing. So when I start to practice, I take a small chunk of the curriculum of what it is I'm supposed to learn. And I take this small chunk and I watch it frame by frame. Literally, I don't watch the whole thing and go, I don't know how to do that. Where do I start? Where do I go? I watch it and I say, all right, what is the first movement that the master makes? And then I watch it and then I work on that first move. Or right, what's the second move? What's the second move? All right, then what's the next thing I do? And I start learning that way. And guess what? I'm a super learner. I'm a speed learner when I use that process. It's unbelievably fast how compared to if I just watch the same thing over and over at in real time at regular speed, put me in the remedial reading class because I can't learn it. I can't learn it when I watch it at regular speed. But when I watch it in slow-mo or frame by frame, man, put me at the head of the class. So I'm the dunce cap, I, you know, I got the dunce cap one with one method and I'm a genius in the other method. So remember and review what works what works for me. Other people can watch something in real time and figure it out. Should I be them? No, I don't have to be them. Use my own method. Matt, I have, I have some terrible news. And the terrible news is we're just about out of time. We need more time, damn it, here in the Get Up podcast because I know the Get Up Army wants more of this. But let me ask you this because I've, I've seen you do a stretch on your Instagram. And by the way, if you guys have an IG... Go follow Matt Fury. It's F-U-R-E-Y. 
Go follow Matt Fury out there on Instagram. He's got some amazing videos. You do this one stretch. I would snap in half. It's incredible. But I, I, I'm sure like you are still, as the, the president of Psycho Cybernetics Foundation, practicing this daily. What, what, are, what are some final words or thoughts you could give to the audience who've been listening for the last two episodes? It would just be re to recap what I've been saying. Say, start small. See, everyone wants to start big because that's where they think the energy is. But it's an illusion. See, it's big energy initially. But if you see, for, for a builder who builds multi million dollar complexes, it's very easy for that builder to say, think big, let's go build this. See, but he's, he's been doing it. So it's very, it's not even thinking big in that person's eyes because he's already done it over and over again. But did he start with that? Was the first thing he built this gigantic castle or something? No, it was something small. So this is the way I look at it is, is to, I, I have a poem I, that I wrote because it, it's another one of the things that I started doing as a martial artist. So you're really not a martial artist if you don't have something artsy, not just the, the art of the martial art, but can you sing? Can you play an instrument? Can you draw? Well, I can write poetry. So my saying is, if you think too big, you stumble on every twig. When you think small, you end up finding out you can have it all. And I have different versions of it that was a little bit longer. But if you think big, you stumble on every twig. When you think small, you realize you can have it all. I and this, it. Doesn't mean, this doesn't mean think small is that I'm no good, I can't do anything. No, take the big goal and make it a daily goal. Turn it into a system. And then you, you build momentum and you realize that you can achieve incredible stuff. You can accomplish things that you never thought you could do before because you were wise enough to think the way a nuclear engineer does. See, it, this will be my last thing. Is uh, how was the atomic bomb created? Well, they split the atom. Oh, so they took the smallest particle, the smallest particle, and they split it in half. And that didn't make it weaker. It actually made it explosive. Hmm. Well, we should just ignore that when it comes to the powers of the mind. Let's just think big. So, no, let's split the atom. Let's microtize your thinking. And when you do that, you realize, my God, I, I've made so much progress. In one year, I accomplished this, 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 and this. In previous years, when I had all the big goals and I stopped myself, I didn't get anything done. And then the next year I set the exact same goals and the next year the same ones, and the next year the same ones. But when I just followed this journey of accomplishing a daily objective, my God, you look back and you say to yourself, I can't believe how much I, I did. I can't believe how much I accomplished. This doesn't make any sense. Well, it doesn't need to make sense, but it does mm. when, you, when you stop and think about it. I love that. It doesn't yeah. need to, but it does. <laughs> That's great. Yes, yeah, it doesn't need to, but it does. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, Matt, look, how, how can people find you, reach out to you? You have your website, mattfury.com, I believe. Yes, I have mattfury.com and I have psycho-cybernetics.com. I, I assume you'll leave links for people in the, in the uh, afterwards. Post it in the video, yeah. Yes. Uh, on my Instagram, it's Matt Fury says, similar to Simon says. And my YouTube channel, which I just started, uh, really putting stuff up about a little over a month ago, is also Matt Fury says. So join those and get on my email list at my at my two different websites and and get you hooked up and and make sure you got a copy of Psycho Cybernetics in your library that that you not only read but you bookmark and you make notes in the margins and. You know, Vince Lombardi, the guy who won the first two Super Bowls for the Green Bay Packers, his son, after Vince passed away, his son found the book in his, in his bookcase, and the whole thing was highlighted, dog-eared, marked up, notes written in the margins, and so on. What See, so that copy it, tells you, it tells you it's been around a while, but it's still, it's, it's a classic. And it's, it's a book that you got to read again and again, or in your case, listen, or in the people who don't read, <laughs> what did you call them, the illiterates or whatever? <laughs> Out on Audible, baby. We're on Audible. Yeah, get it on, get it on Audible, or if you want the book in your hands, then get that on Amazon.com. Great stuff. Great stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, you are looking or listening or both to a world martial arts champion an ncaa champion and a champion of the mind the president of the psycho cybernetics foundation unbelievable matt thank you so much for spending some time and just sharing the gifts that you've acquired and all the the success because i'm sure that's going to be helping a lot of people just really reevaluating how to how to move forward with their futures and that's what this is all about here so thank you mark it's been a pleasure. This has been great. So, ladies and gentlemen, get up, Army. Get swinging, baby. Go follow Matt Fury everywhere. Psycho Cybernetics everywhere. And we're going to be back next week with another banging episode of the Get Up Podcast. Can't stop, won't stop. Hey, for Matt Fury, this is Mark Hayford. I'm always in your corner.